from heaven to earth the glory of Israel, and has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up, he has not spared all the, inhabit, all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath he has thrown down the strongholds of the daughter Judah. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. In fierce anger he has cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. And he has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire, consuming round about. He has bent his bow like an enemy. He has set his right hand like an adversary and slain all that were pleasant to the eye. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his wrath like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has destroyed its strongholds and multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and moaning. And he has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. Yahweh has caused to be forgotten the appointed feast and Sabbath in Zion. And he has despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. The Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of Yahweh as in the day of an appointed feast. Yahweh determined to destroy the wall of daughter Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not restrained his hand from destroying. And he has caused rampart and wall to lament. They have languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. Also her prophets find no vision from Yahweh. The elders of the daughter Zion sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city, they say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. How shall I admonish you? To what shall I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what shall I liken you as, a comfort, as I comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. Captivity, But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. All who pass along the way clap their hands in derision at you. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city of which they said the perfection of beauty, a joy to all the earth? All your enemies have opened their mouths wide against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day for which we waited. We have reached it. We have seen it. Yahweh has done what he has purposed. He has accomplished his word, which he commanded from days of old. He has thrown down without sparing, and he has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Let your eyes have no rest. Arise, cry aloud in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger at the head of every street. 
See, O Yahweh, and look, with whom hast thou dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who are born healthy? Should priests and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the ground in the streets lie young and old. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of thine anger. Thou hast slaughtered not sparing. Thou didst call in the day of an appointed feast my terrors on every side. And there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of Yahweh's anger. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy annihilated them. We'll turn now to Revelation chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And one of the seven angels had the seven bowls, uh, I'm sorry, let me start over. And one of the seven angels had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations, and of the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and of abominations, and of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Turn now to chapter 18 of Revelation, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by her wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins, and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she is paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup in which she is mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the degree give her torment and mourning, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. And we'll skip down to verse 20 of Revelation 18. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And a strong angel took up a stone like a, good, a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. Merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints 
and of all who have been slain on the earth. After these things I heard, uh, after these things I heard as it were a loud, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Let's turn now to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation, Psalm 75. Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars, Selah. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let's bow in prayer. Father, now we come to hear your word, and we pray that you would bless us with the gift of the ministry of your spirit. Sanctify us in the truth. Thy word is truth. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 40 is quoted by the author to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10. It's, what, it's a messianic psalm, and it's what Jesus says coming into the world. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure then i said behold sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired nor hast thou taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come 
to do thy in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice, sat down at the right hand at the right hand of God, waiting from that time on until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all those who are sanctified. He has perfected all those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for he, after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their hearts and upon their minds. I will write them. He then adds, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Since, therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he has inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession, which is our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another unto love and good deeds, not abandoning the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Epistle to the Hebrews was written uh, somewhere in the 60s, just for fun, let's say, nobody knows for sure, let's say 8065, just on the verge of the Great Tribulation. And the tribulation was so severe that in both Matthew chapter 23 and Mark chapter 24, excuse me, Matthew 24, and in Mark and in Luke, there's a warning. It's going to be so bad. 
that people are going to hand their own kids over to death. They're going to hand their parents over to death. They're going to draw away. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Lots of people gave up the faith. And Hebrews is written to urge them not to do that. It's built around five warnings. The first one is, oh, so slight. Watch out lest you drift away. The second one gets more severe. Don't be like the rebellious children in the wilderness. The third one gets very severe and says, if you fall away after these, and it lists off five things, There's no place for repentance. And the fourth gets even more severe. What kind of punishment do you think he's worthy who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has counted common the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? As in insulted the spirit of grace, what's going to happen? vengeance. And then there's a warning in chapter 12, which is a little more upbeat to avoid such a thing. I'm feeling, uh, what can I say? I, I know I should be done with Chronicles chapter 24, but I couldn't help myself. I'm feeling a little fatherly. And uh, hopefully that fatherliness won't extend in the next week, but it might. So, uh, if you've been to my house, you know that we live on a nasty, nasty road. It's our ministry of humiliating our guests. When it rains, they come through the puddles, bouncing up and down. When they go home, they got to wash their car. And if they don't know enough, they walk in the front door. And if it's rain, you got to walk through six inches of water to get there. It's just all nasty. But you know what people do? They take off their shoes before they come in when it's nasty like that. And we have a good time. It's common. It's not common today as much as it used to be, but it's common. And over our 39 years here, we've seen this on many occasions. But certainly, it, it's, not, it's not common in the church anymore. I wouldn't say that. And it's not a law. But when you're invited to someone's house, lots of times, well, what you'll do is you'll bring something with you. Now, I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about something you give to the host and hostess. And so lots of people bring flowers. Well, what's a blind guy going to do with flowers? It's common also, but not in the circles we've run in, to bring a bottle of wine. Blind guy can figure out something to do with that. 
when you go to the house of the Lord, which we are in right now, not this building, what you do is you've walked through life and you're a little muddy and dirty and so you wipe off your feet first by confessing your sin. And the Lord's invited you over because he has something to say to you. You're part of his family. Come on in. Let's chat. Let's have a talk. And when he's done talking, then he feeds you at the table. Well, when you went to the Lord's house, you didn't go without something. Well, you didn't bring wine because uh, wine was forbidden at the Lord's house in the Old Testament. That's a New Testament feature. And uh, you didn't bring flowers unless you're talking about flower, F-L-O-U-R, flower. And you did bring that because when you came to the Lord's house, you came by way of four sacrifices. They're listed in Leviticus. By the way, Hebrews is my absolute favorite book in the New Testament. And Leviticus, if it's not at the top, it's near the top. It is just so fantastic, it helps you understand the sacrifice of Christ. When you came to the Lord's house, first you wiped your feet off with a sacrifice for sin, a purification offering. And you came to the Lord's house to meet with him, but the problem is you weren't allowed to go into his room where he's enthroned. And so what you had to do is you had to offer an ascension offering whereby you lay your hand on the, uh, say, the goat or the lamb and you slit its throat and the priest catches it blood and the priest sprinkles the blood on the, on the uh, altar and then all of it is put on the altar and it burns up, which is a picture of transformation and you make your way into the Lord's room as smoke. But before you're put on fire, you've brought some flour and you got frankincense on it and some other stuff on it and the priest reaches in and he grabs a handful of that and he puts it over here right on top of the ascension and whoosh, he goes up. Well, that flower is your work, your tribute. It is a grain offering, but that's not what the word means in Hebrew. It means a tribute. You're giving God money, paying tribute to him. So you go up and meet with him, and you've come with something. He gives you his word, and then there's a peace offering. And so, once again, you come and you slit the throat and the blood is taken and sprinkled around the altar and the animal's cut up. Part of it goes over here on the altar and whoosh, up it goes. And the priest, he gets his portion and you get your portion. You eat. That's what we do every Sunday. We have confession of sin, 
we have the message preached, and we have the table. What we don't have is the tribute. Now, there's a box on the back wall where you can bring your tribute, and things aren't quite the same as today. If you put flour in the box, whoever picks that up won't quite like that. Might mess up the box. But it's the same idea. Tribute's brought. Because when you go to meet with God, you give him something. Why? Because he's giving you much. Now, why do I bring this up again? It's a constant theme with me. But again, because some of us here haven't heard it and we need to hear it. And we need to be reminded because of 2 Chronicles chapter 24, if you would turn there. Verse 2, And Joash did what was right in the sight of Yahweh all the days of Jehoiada the priest. That's an ominous note. You know the story now. So you, you, have, these, you have these bookends at uh, chapter 22, verse 11 and 12. And then at the end of 24, all this goes together. And over here, you have a bed in the temple. This temple that's run down and not being used anymore because they're all worshiping Baal. And so uh, the high priest's wife, whose name means Yahweh swears an oath. He swore the Davidic covenant. She grabs this one last kid whose offspring, royal offspring, named Joash. And she puts him in a bed. And you come all the way down to the end over here in chapter 24, and you're at another bed. You're at the deathbed of Joash. And in between the two beds is his life. The funny thing is, a lot of his life is focused around Jehoiada. Jehoiada, the high priest, and his wife, the daughter of the king, snatched this boy, stole him before Athaliah killed him. And then Jehoiada raised him. We've looked at all the stuff about at seven years old, how he was anointed king and installed. How a covenant was made between the people and the king and the high priest that we would be Yahweh's people, restoring the covenant how they went and they tore down the temple of Baal and smashed up its altars and put to death, sacrificed Matt and the priest right in front of the altar of his own temple. How they got things in order so that once again, the officials were put in order under the Levitical priests so that burnt offerings, ascensions could go up because you can't meet with God if you can't go up and smoke. How that happened. 
and how the gatekeepers, the Levites, were put around so that no one unclean could enter into God's house. If you did, boom, you're killed instantly. And how they grabbed Joash and took him from the temple, took him through the upper gate into the king's palace and installed him as king. And there was all kinds of rejoicing and praising and singing. And there was quiet because they had put Athaliah to death. That's the context. We've looked at all that. See, you could have you skipped this part. You already knew it. And then in uh, chapter 24, we get this little section about Joash and his uh, fixing up the temple. And there's some questions about it. But anyway, in the end, the job was done. It's built anew, so everything's running great. Then uh, we come to verses 15 and following, which we looked at last week, but I want to look at them again. Look at verse 15 of chapter 24. Then Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he and he died. He was 130 years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He had done well in Israel and to God and to his house. Wow. Here's our priest and his job is sacrifices. But he's been working for almost 40 years helping Joash be king. And he's called Joash's father. And so he was. Joash was adopted into his family, so to speak. And when it says he did well in Israel, it's because he and his wife rescued the offspring, installed the offspring. Now, how good is a king at seven? He's no good. He still wants to play trucks and stuff. And so Jehoiada, Yahweh knows, works with him, works with him, trains him. Remember, the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon. It's written for his son Rehoboam to train him to be a king. Who trained Joash? Well, Jehoiada did. And he gets this approbation. He did well in Israel. And something that doesn't happen, he got buried with the kings. Here's my fatherly part. Are you doing what Joash did? We're getting to be more and more young kids now. And the question is, are we training our kids? 
let me just read a couple of passages. You know them. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You love God intellectually. You love God emotionally. And you love God with all the strength you can muster in terms of using your body, using your money, using your all to make it clear. Yahweh is my God. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them on as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. It's going to govern these commandments, how you think and what you do. And you shall write them on the doorways of your house and on your gates. When you walk into your house with your kids, this is a covenant house, a house of a covenant. When you walk into your city with your family, this is a covenant city, a city that belongs to God and we're in covenant with God. So it permeates everything you do from sitting in your house to going outside, from going to bed to getting up. It's everywhere, it's all the time. In other words, no break from God. When you're doing mathematics, it's God's mathematics. When you're doing science, it's God's science. When you're playing tennis, it's the body God gave you to express what a great God he is. That's what you teach your children. But of course... That's not all you teach your children because children come young and stubborn and willful and conceived in iniquity. So, you teach them. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Whoa! You mean, I'm going to look into God's word for every answer, for everything? Yes, sir, that's what you're going to do, and that's what you're going to teach your kids to do. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths smooth. He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him, disciplines him diligently. 
Well, of course, there's a time when the rod is not needed anymore, but at the young age, the rod is needed. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. We have all kinds of young people in all kinds of messes with drugs and gangs and all sorts of things. We have all kinds of kids who are having premarital sex, having babies. We have all kinds of kids who have parents who don't give a damn about them. And it's showing up in our streets. It's showing up in our cities. It's showing up in our government because they haven't been trained. We're a covenant church. We train our kids. And if we don't, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol, that is, the grave. Now, of course, the word beat, as it's written here in my translation, has certain connotations in our culture today, so I don't think we would want that translation because uh, the Bible is not teaching us to beat our kids senseless or abuse them. It's talking about using the rod. Wounds that go deep, says Proverbs 20, verse 30, scour away evil. Now, of course, you could use a rod and a child's behind could come black and blue. And if you went to the doctor, the doctor would have to report you to the officials. Only, you know, our system is stupid because bruises go away. A soul untrained goes to hell. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way shames his mother. It's true the father too. Just, I picked that verse because I needed to pick on women a little bit. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Your kids need you. They need you from the moment they were born and oh, somewhere around four, six months, they assert their will and they know they're asserting it. It's time to do something and uh, a rod probably would not be the right thing to use at that point, but a nice against the thigh brings a cry. 
and corrects. But if behavior that is inappropriate is uncorrected, if it doesn't have pain associated with young children, they won't change. Jehoiada, Yahweh knows, he knew that. Can you believe it? A high priest whipped a king. You ever known a seven-year-old that didn't know, need a little spanking? I haven't yet. If you know one of those, uh, bring him or her to me and I'll prove you otherwise. So Jehoiada is commended because of his faithfulness. He did well in Israel and to God and to his house. That's the way we want to end our life. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little thing. Have authority over much. And so they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God and to his house. The next section is one of those parts that makes you ponder. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of Yahweh, the God of their fathers, and served the Asterim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Yahweh. But though they testified against them, they would not listen. So this kid starts out on the throne at seven. And most of his reign is a godly reign, so it seems. And then just a few years before the end of his reign, Jehoiada dies. And here come some people in Jerusalem and Judah who want to be worshipers of other gods. In this case, the Canaanite poles that represent female deities and other idols. And they wanted to bow down to those idols. Of course, that's rather stupid because Yahweh God is the one that conquered the Canaanite territory, so he proved himself mightier than these gods, but sin is stupid, isn't it? Sin is just downright stupid, illogical, and people who sin and who are dedicated to sin, they're not rational. Well, they came, I guess, and they bowed down, and they must have somehow persuaded him because he's looking like a faithful king. All these years, he's looking like a faithful king, and yet he gives way to them. And so wrath came upon them. But even in the midst of this wrath, 
just like in all the judgments that came upon Israel, God, he's compassionate. Why? Because these are his people. It's like the book of Hosea. Gomer is Hosea's wife. She's a harlot. God's wife was a harlot. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to speak to them. But they would not listen. Train your kids young. Proverbs said, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's older, he will not depart from it. Well, you know, Joash did, didn't he? Yeah, that's caused a controversy in uh, what we call wisdom literature like Proverbs. And so we say, well, this is wisdom literature. It's not promises. It just means, you know, if you do this this way, this is usually the way it works out. Well, I don't think that's true. I think it is promises. And they don't always come true. But, of course, we are uh, just so, uh, our, our brains aren't big enough to figure that out. God knows, but what we do is we take the Proverbs and we say, okay, this is what God says. He says, do this, do this, do this, and I'll tell you what, it'll work out. Well, we've had a lot of children in this church over the years stray who were brought up the right way, and uh, I don't know what will happen to them all, but one thing I tell parents is take the long view. Take the long view. So they go straight 16, 18, 20. What about when they're 50? Well, Joash didn't repent. By the way, the wisest man other than Jesus also fell into idolatry nor do we have a record of his repentance. And he wrote the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. What do we do with it? Well, it's a little hard to do anything with it because the Bible just doesn't say. But here's the thing. You train your kids, you teach them, and you tell them, look, if you stray from God, if you leave God behind, wrath will come. But even in the midst of wrath, God sends his messengers because he cares about his people. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah the son of Jehoiada, the priest. When it says the Spirit of God came upon him, that means clothed. The Spirit of God clothed Zechariah. The Spirit fit around him like a garment. Jehoiada means God knows. Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. And he stood above the people and he said to them, Thus God has said. Why do you transgress 
the commandments of Yahweh and do not prosper. Because you have forsaken Yahweh, he also has forsaken you. The word transgress is this Hebrew word that marks out chronicles. It starts with Saul. And so Saul is dispossessed, taken away as king, and a new dynasty is established. And we're tracing all these kings, and so many of them transgress. It's a word that means unfaithful, ma'al. You set aside the covenant. And when you set aside the covenant, like with Saul, then you hit this other word that you find tracing through Chronicles, and it's the word to seek. Seek. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, I'll let you find me. But Saul sought a medium. He went for a different God. And so you have the word ma'al. You're giving up on the covenant. So you seek other gods, and what happens? Then you have the next word that traces through chronicles. You have forsaken me, therefore I have forsaken you. I'm worried about our church, other churches, our country. We need good churches. But we need something more basic than good churches. We need good fathers. So, what is a father supposed to do? Well, number one, he says, oh, I think I'll set my sights to seek the Lord. That's the message of Chronicles. If you seek me, I'll let you find me. If you fall away, I'll send some people along to remind you who I am and to repent. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and repent and turn from their wickedness, I will come and forgive and restore their land. That's true of an individual, too. It's true of a family, too. What we need, well, churches should build them, are good fathers. Well, let me rephrase that. We need good covenant heads. That means a good husband and a good father. And there's all kinds of stuff to busy ourselves with that's not bad. It's all fine and dandy. But if we get so busy that we cannot be Christ-like in being a husband or Jehoiada-like in being a father, then we're too busy. And we can succeed in all kinds of ways and lose our family. We can succeed in all kinds of ways and lose our church. I don't know. This chapter just grabbed me. 
and I haven't finished it yet, and it's telling me I got five minutes. <laughs> Look down, if you would, at verse uh, 20. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said. Why do you transgress? Why are you unfaithful to the covenant of Yahweh? And consequently, do not prosper. Psalm 1. The man who meditates on the law of God is like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season and its leaf also does not wither and in all his ways he prospers. Here's our word. Faithful people to the Lord prosper. It doesn't mean they all get rich. Some of them do. But it means God blesses them. Because you have forsaken me I also have forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of Yahweh. Isn't that something? Jehoiada said, no, don't kill Athaliah in the Lord's house. Don't, don't. In, make this place impure with her blood. So they took her out and they killed her in the gate going into the king's palace. But here, Joash, trained by Jehoiada, who owes his all his life, he would have been killed by Athaliah if not for Jehoiada. What does he do? He gives the command. And they stoned him in the court of Yahweh. So his blood was shed there. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. But he murdered his son. And as he died, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Well, now, for a stoning to take place, and this will be the setup for next time I teach, I don't know if that's next week or not, the boss is back in town. For a stoning to take place, you've got to have a trial. We're not told about the trial. But of course, we're talking about Zechariah, who's stoned, and so there had to be false witnesses, and then a command to stone. Does that remind you of somebody? And when you come to Matthew 23, that 
generation was told, fill up the measure of the blood from righteous Abel all the way to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who died between the altar and the temple. All this blood, Jesus is saying, is coming on this generation. We read a picture of what that looked like in Babylon captivity, where mothers were eating their own offspring. It was so bad. Makes me think of today with all the abortions. Those kids then were eaten so mothers could stay alive. These kids today are killed, a form of eating, so their mothers can avoid whatever it is they want to avoid. So they brought false witnesses to condemn Christ and nothing stood up until two men showed up and said, he said he can destroy this temple and raise it in three days. And on the basis of those two witnesses, which by the way is not what Jesus said, but we'll look at that next week. On the basis of those two witnesses, they condemned him to death. Well, they didn't have the authority in Rome to stone anymore. So what they do? They got Pilate to crucify him. This uh, thing about Joash, this story, it, it, it brings the end of the old covenant to a new understanding and the beginning of the new covenant, which we will then talk about next week, which fits right in with Hebrews. And we read Revelation, just parts of chapter 17, 18, and 19, which are about the judgment on harlot Babylon. Now friends, Babylon wasn't the harlot. All through the Bible, Jerusalem is the harlot. But she's become like Babylon. Just as in Revelation chapter 11, Jerusalem is called mystically Sodom and Egypt. What does that mean? That means Jerusalem likes Sodom and Gomorrah. That means Jerusalem was like Egypt, oppressing and Jerusalem was like Babylon. And funny thing is, what did you find right in Jerusalem? The blood of prophets. Yeah, friends, it's been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled in AD 70. We'll talk about that next week. Jehoiada, what you want is, well, you want to be a Joash, but you want to make it to the end. He didn't. But Jehoiada, who had 130 years, made it all the way to the end, and what did he hear? 
Oh, well done. In Israel, and to God, and to his house. Here we are. We are the house of God, the temple of God. If we're going to get that kind of approbation, we've got to do well right here with this temple. Stand with me. Father, we thank you for our Savior who was the ascension offering, the sacrifice for sins, the peace offering, and our tribute to you. We thank you that through faith in Christ, we've been placed into Christ. We thank you that through faith in Christ, we, the body of Christ, are the bride of Christ. We thank you that in Christ we have a husband who watches out for us, cares for us. We thank you that in Christ, just as a woman marries a man today and all that he has becomes hers, all that Jesus has is ours. This is our inheritance for in Christ. We thank you that in Christ one final sacrifice was made, not like the others, not like those sacrifices that could never take away sin, but this one sacrifice took away sin for all time. And we thank you that in him we are sanctified, your people. We thank you for your great love for us. In Christ's name, amen.